0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church, or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. This text we're about to look at represents a delicate balance that I think we all feel when it comes to leadership in a church, in a healthy church, um, it points to a balance that we have to have together. And um, this balance can be boiled down really to two phrases. This verse is gonna center on, on, on this this morning and I wanna give it away all up front. This is the balance that we're gonna see in this text. So what we see here is the on one hand, the protection of Leadership or elders being balanced with, on the other hand, the protection from leadership and elders. We see this balance. Protection of, protection from. And God's plan for his church is to have a healthy balance of these things together in his church. And, and what we're going to see, especially toward the end of our time in this text, is, my goodness, do things fall apart When we lose one of these or the other, we get off balance. we're gonna look at this. And so what I wanna do, I wanna read our text, just two short verses, then we'll, we'll get started unpacking them together. So 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 says this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Let me pray for us, then we'll get going. Lord, um, I pray that you help us as we come to your word this morning. Would you guide us through this? Would you show us what your heart is for your church, for your people, for your leaders, for your members? Would you show us how we can represent the gospel well in a way that promotes health and glorifies you in every way in Jesus' name? Amen, amen. All right, so it says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three. Witnesses, do not admit a charge. Do not take accusations out against an elder except on the evidence of two or three. Now, I wanna talk about what this is and what this is not. Um, First of all, what is this? This is, church, a protection for elders. A protection for the elders um, to have against being falsely or maliciously charged or accused of something. And, and by the way, this is not a new thing. Um, in fact, what Paul is doing here is really, he's kind of just restating the law. He's restating the Old Testament. Um, I'll put this up here. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrongdoing or wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of, sounds familiar, two or three shall charge be established. This is exactly what Paul is putting before them in the context of the local church. There's a commentator um, who says it like this. The church leader should enjoy at least as much protection as the ordinary Jew had under the law. Right? So that's what we see here. This is not new, but this is so important. And, and why is this important? I wanna bring out a couple reasons. Um, number one, this is a protection for the elder. Um, specifically, this is a protection for the elder's character. And, and I wanna bring this out. I think we all know what I mean when I say this because we live in a day and age where I think we would understand this really well. In the world of social media, And in the world of cancel culture, we know how serious character assassinations can be. Not just in the church, but but everywhere. We know how important it is to have this kind of protection in place for leaders, both inside and, again, outside of the church. Um, Leadership is all about trust. Trust. It centers on trust. And when trust is broken, it can can destroy the ability of a leader to lead. Um, Now, when there is a situation or a sin in the life of a leader, when the leader breaks that trust um, and the accusations and charges are valid, that's a different story. It's heartbreaking still, but um, we're gonna get to that toward the end of this. Um, But that... as we'll talk about in a moment, there has to be a response to that. There, the church must be able to respond well when its leaders fail. But here's the thing. What about when accusations are made that are not true and they are, that are unfounded? It can be devastating. Why? Because it destroys trust. It destroys the ability of an elder to lead well. Unfounded character assassination attempts are deadly. And again, I think we get this and, and, um, because we see it a lot. We see this a lot. We see in our age of social media, it's like the wild, wild west of this kind of stuff. Like we blast people all the time, accuse anyone of anything, put it out there, boom, it's out there, and then ripples. I mean, it's, this is the world we live in and we get this, but that destroys trust. It leads to crazy anarchy. Just go to Facebook it's what it leads to. And, and listen, we know that that's what the world is like out there. In fact, I'm just going to call this out. We have an election year coming up. Buckle up, because we're about to see this again on display. Um, get ready to hear it in the news. Do you, do you miss political commercials? They're coming. Uh, how about the things that we call debates that are not debates, that don't talk about arguments, but that are just opportunities to assassinate character? On live television. We're about to see this on display for us in in HD. But that circus has no place in the church. Our text today is saying loud and clear leave that mess to the politicians out there. They're going to do enough of it. Leave it to social media. But in here, Paul says don't admit a charge against a leader, against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And with this, I I want you to hear me. Again, this is not just about the elder. Uh, The elder is not the only character at stake here. This is a protection for the elders that is good for the community. It's good for the church. It's good for the gospel in the community because when the church leaders face baseless accusations, trust is destroyed. And when trust is destroyed, it harms the elder Yes, as a person, it harms the elder's family. But beyond that, it impacts the health of the local church and the stability of the church. We all have a part to play in this. It impacts the way our community sees the church as a whole when we're, you know, blasting each other and hurling grenades at each other, when we badmouth and attack leaders in the church when we talk about them to others and have accusations that just have no real basis or when we just get in the practice of just speculate, 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 post, post. Like when we do these kind of things, we do real damage for the local church. And Paul, again, is putting this before us. Leave that business to the politicians. Don't bring it in here. Don't bring it in here. Because in the church, God has a better way. And it's don't admit a a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, um, real quickly, I want to make some uh, clarifications with this of what this does not say. This text does not say, do not admit a charge against an elder, period. I mean, this is important. This is not a call for silence. Like, shh, don't bring sin to light. Um, this This is a call for protection for elders, yes, but it is not a call to protect leadership at the expense of the truth, at the expense of the congregation, at the expense of the people. This is not a call to silence. This is a call to bring sin to light in a way that is appropriate and God honoring. That's what this is. We do not protect elders or protect pastors or protect leaders at the expense of others. And that is not what Paul is calling us to do here. In fact, um, listen, we may not know the exact circumstance that was going on in this early church, but I think we know enough to be able to bring pieces together. And I think it's important that we do. If you remember what was happening here in this early church, if you remember one of the main things that Paul was doing is he was helping protect the church from those who are within the church who were misleading people with silly myths and speculations. You remember that? Um, who, were, who were misleading and pulling people away from the gospel to follow after them and all of their lies. And, and ultimately, sadly, what we're reading is that it was working to some extent and that people were being misled and, and being fooled. And, and so the leaders of the church In this early church in Ephesus, the pastors, the elders, the leaders of this church were having to confront this nonsense. They were having to remove these people from the church. Listen, I don't care who you are, that is tough for any pastor, for any congregation to have to go through. And with that context in mind, you can understand why this text is so, so important because one of the deadliest tools of the enemy is to destroy trust. Because if elders lose trust, they would not be able to respond well to attacks, very real and dangerous attacks to the church, and more people would have been misled away from the truth of the gospel. This is serious. Um, More people would be hurt. That's why this matters. And so please hear me. This is not a call for silence. This is instead a call to handle ourselves in accordance with the word of God to handle this appropriately in truth and grace and to take sin seriously. To call out sin and to do so appropriately. And I wanna make one more clarification. Um, Listen, although this text is primarily dealing with elders, we've seen that, um, this is calling for protection for elders. Listen, what Paul is revealing here is not exclusively for elders. I know I've already told you to look at Deuteronomy 19 which says hey listen one single witness isn't going to do it you need two or three to bring up okay listen we are going to see this not only in Deuteronomy but I want to point out the very words of Jesus in Matthew 18 Matthew 18 is one of the most direct scriptures in dealing with sin in the church and I want you to just I'm going to read this and I want you to tell me does this sound familiar Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Easy enough, right? But then listen. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Church, this is exactly what we're seeing here in our text. It's not that elders are given some different game plan. Like when an elder sins, you got to handle it differently. No, it's that when the church deals with sin, we have a game plan to deal with it. Whether you're an elder or not. Paul is calling us not to forget the words of Jesus when dealing with the elders of the church. And so I wanna put this before you. I quoted that commentator earlier that said, the church leader should enjoy at least as much protection as the ordinary Jew had under the law. I think from Matthew 18, we can change that a bit. And I believe that in the context of the New Testament church, it should really be the church leader should enjoy at least as much protection as any member of the church. This is not new. This is not a new thing that we see here. And so in this first verse, what we see, we see verse 19 is all about the protection for the elder. And I wanna move on to our next verse before we bring it together, verse 20. And I want you to listen to the beautiful balance that is given here in our text. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So as for those, who are those? Well, in this context, it's the elders, right? Um, So as for the elders who sin, but it's not just sin. Verbiage is really important. It's not just like a one-off, an elder made a mistake. No, listen to the verbiage. As for the elder who persists in sin, continues in it, walks in it. This is not like an isolated occurrence. This is an ongoing sin. This is not a past tense sin here. This is a present tense ongoing. And so what happens when an elder, after being approached, after the sin has been brought to the light, or even when an elder is living an ongoing lifestyle of sin, what happens? What should we do? Well, it says, "Rebuke them in the presence of all." Who of all? Who is all? Well, we're not given the exact contents of who fits as an all, but I'm assuming all means all in the church. Um, what is very clear, though, no matter how you define it, is that this is public, not private. This is a public rebuke, and that seems so harsh. At first, like, come on, like, can we deal with sin in a less public way, right? We, we don't want to just air our dirty laundry. I hear that a lot. Um, we don't want to make the church look bad. Let's deal with that behind closed doors, right? We should be quiet about, no, no. Just as we saw, Paul is saying it again. Elders are no different from members of the church on this front. And if, I'll, I'll go back to Matthew 18 again. I'm gonna read what we already read. If a brother sins against you, what do you do? You go to him, tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens, boom, you gained a brother. If he doesn't, uh, take one or two or um, along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. But then listen to this, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, what do you do? You tell it to all. You tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Church, what we are seeing here, specifically with the elders in the church, is exactly why our text says in verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. And why? So that the rest may stand in fear. I wanna bring out a principle here, and this is really important. If you forget everything I say, don't forget this, okay? Sin loves dark places. Sin loves dark corners. Sin loves to stay in the dark because it's in the dark where it grows and thrives. So, our call as the people of God, by the grace of God, our calling is to bring, continually try to bring sin into light, to to bring it out, to drag it out of dark corners to bring it out sometimes, kicking and screaming. It does not like the light. It's like coming out of a theater in the middle of the day. You're like, ah, that's what sin does. It doesn't like it. You pull it out, you drag it out, and thereby you weaken it. This is why if you were here and you this morning would say, I'm struggling with sin, if you're battling with sin right now, Maybe you have a sin that you have in secret. It's tucked away. It's in one of those dark corners where no one can see that mess. Listen, if you're serious about seeing victory over that sin, victory over that sin means instead of leaving it in that dark corner, instead you hold it like this before God. You bring it out of the dark and you hold it like this out before God. God, we come to him with our sin knowing that in him there is forgiveness of sin. We stop hiding and we bring sin to light. If you're battling with sin and you're tired of battling it alone in the dark, God's word calls us to shine light on it and confess our sins. Um, We stand on grace and truth of 1 John 1.9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, you can't battle sin in the dark. It's the strongest there. You can't battle sin if you're more worried about hiding it than you are about killing it. You battle sin by exposing it. And there's a a Christian word, word that we have for this. It's called confession. We confess it. We experience the grace and mercy of God. This is the heart of the gospel and church never gets old. We bring it, we confess it. Because in Christ we have victory over sin. That victory is yours. And until the day that Jesus returns, though, we as we battle against that sin, we battle it in victory. One of the most common weapons in your battle against sin is, is confession, bringing it to the light. And that's true on a personal level, but I want you to see in our text today and in Matthew 18, and in, what's true on that personal level is also being brought to the collective level. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear, This is an example that is made here so that the congregation may see in fear. This is not a fear of man, by the way. A fear that their sin will be exposed, so keep it hidden. This is not a fear of man. This is not shame. No, church, this is the fear of God so that the rest may see and stand in the fear of God, that people would see and know that, wow, not even the leaders are above this. Not, not even the leader. I mean, the leaders are held accountable to each other and to this. I mean, that in a, even in a difficult moment dealing with sin, that there would be edification in the church as we cause the rest, as this text says, to see and stand in the fear of God because sin has been taken seriously because the holiness of God is serious. There, um, there is an example that we see here made even in the context of the sin. And it's not only for the congregation, but I want to bring out one more thing. It's for the other elders too. There's, a, there's, a, there's an example made. This is accountability. And this leads others to God that the rest of the elders and the rest of the congregation would fear the Lord. Where there is sin, where there is sin in the life of those leading in the church, as we see in this text, where there is persistent sin, ongoing sin, the call is to rebuke them in grace and truth, rebuke them so that all may be edified in the truth. And so here's the important distinction here. So in verse 19, what we see is the protection for the elders and how important that is that they are protected from accusations, charges, just being kind of thrown around, just firing off uh, accusations, right? That there's a protection for elders. This is important. But here we see the balance in verse 20, and we see here a protection from the elders. That is, here we see how the church and, and the gospel message is protected from elders who are persistent in sin, in walking in unrepentant sin. We see both. We see a protection for the congregation from corrupt elders and corrupt leadership. Church, a healthy church has both, has this balance, a protection for its elders from baseless accusations and a protection for the congregation from elders who are walking in sin. And I I want us to think about this balance because what happens, church? And I don't want to think about this too long because it's depressing, but what happens when it gets off balance either way? What happens? Like, let's just think about this. What happens when a church gets so focused on protecting the elders that it excludes the protection of the congregation? What happens? Well, it leads to this heavy, top-down leadership that... Sin is covered up and leaders feel like they are above the law. Um, It leads to a culture where sin thrives in dark corners. There's no transparency or authenticity. Sin is thriving in the dark and members of the congregation are hurt. We've seen this in our culture, Um, but it leads to fear, but not the fear of God. It leads to this weird fear of men because it's heavy handed and graceless um, and I want to say, like, no elder, no pastor, no leader, no person is above this. None of us. None of us are above this. And so, when the church focuses on protecting its leader's image, protecting its leaders at the exclusion of protecting its people and taking sin seriously, when the church does that, it leads to corruption and pain. And we've seen it in church history. Uh, both ancient and modern, eventually it comes crumbling down. It it always, always does. And here in our text, God's word is calling this out. And so there's this, but what happens, church? Just think about it, it, when it flips the other way, what happens when the balance goes the other way? What happens when we focus so much on protecting the congregation from any corruption in leadership that we're just hurling up accusation and speculation and speculation. We're just throwing them up. What happens? We destroy trust. And we destroy pastors. We, just, we spit them up. And we chew them up and we spit them out. Like we destroy pastors' families. I have the um, privilege of knowing so many pastors who walk through this and and um, This hurts. And it leads to the same place, ultimately. It leads to pain and it leads to corruption and eventually it leads it to crumble down um, because a church cannot long stand without trust. And here's what I'm getting at this morning and this is why this text is so important because God cares about sin because he's holy. And, and God cares about how we address sin and conflict because he is holy and even in sin, even in the way we address sin in the church, we're able to proclaim the gospel um the gospel is not about hiding in our sin the gospel is not about us being good enough or on our own um think about in the garden the first sin what did they do what did they try to do they tried to just run and hide which is absolutely absurd and ridiculous and yet we try to do the same thing and it's never worked In our sin, we try to hide and it never works. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is not that you have to be good, that you are good or that you will be good one day when you get your act together. No, the good news of Jesus Christ is that while we were dead in our sin, God demonstrated his great love for us in sending Jesus Christ who willingly came and gave himself for you. Christ came in his perfection in his sinlessness, and he gave his life, took our sin on his shoulders. He was the perfect and sinless sacrifice. As he cried out his last breath, it is finished. Christ came, gave his life on the cross on the third day, rose, resurrected, I mean, rose in victory. (laughs) And he gives us a picture of what our resurrection will be like on that day in him, like him. See, in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins, life, hope, restoration, and redemption. We have, we have been reconciled to God, adopted, justified, sanctified. And one day we will be glorified with him. And this is the good news of Jesus. And I want you to hear me. Notice that none of what I just said revolved around you being good. None of what I just said has anything to do with your goodness. Jesus did not save you because you are good or because of your good works. He saved you because he is good, and it was in his good work. Jesus did not save you because of this hope that one day you're going to have your act together and one day you're going to be good. Jesus saved you because he is good yesterday, today, and forever. This is the gospel. And because of that, in Christ, we're not about hiding sin on a personal level or on a corporate church level. We're about bringing out the sin out of the dark corners so that in Christ we can walk in forgiveness. We are victorious over sin so that now in Christ we confess our sin. And this is what our text is about. It's about us taking sin seriously because God takes it seriously um, even and especially in our leadership. And um, I wanna close with this. I wanna give us two takeaways on two very different levels this morning. And... um, I'll start with one. Uh, takeaway number one, action step number one is I want us to look at our own hearts and I want us to start with ourselves. Listen, if there is one issue in the church that I think that we as the church are the least equipped to deal with, and this is a big statement, um, but I mean it. You know what it is? I don't think it's theology. Like um, eschatology, soteriology, just add any of theologies. I don't think are, they're those. I mean, I love those. Those are important. I also don't, really think it's even biblical literacy, although that is definitely an issue. I don't think it's missional living or discipleship, although those are very vital and important. If there is one issue that I see in the American church more than any other issue that we seem completely ill-equipped to handle, it is biblical conflict resolution. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and I don't want to spend all morning, like, coming up with them, Um, but what I mean by this is what do we do when a brother or a sister sins against us? How do we handle sin? What do we do when there's sin or there's conflict in the church? Because here's the thing. If you stick around for long enough, it will happen. Jesus says that in this world, the world's gonna know your mind by your love for one another. And the fact is is that loving one another will involve some form of biblical conflict resolution. We must be willing to Matthew 18 with each other. And so the first call, the first action, the first takeaway, I hope this doesn't catch you off guard. Um, It has to start with us. So has a brother or a sister sinned against you? Have you, don't try to justify yourself, sinned against a brother or a sister? Specifically, has a leader hurt you, sinned against you? I want to encourage you to look at Matthew 18. Start in verse 15 and go to them in love because of your love for Christ and for them. You don't hide that sin. We don't ignore it. We don't just leave. We, we, we bring it to light and live out the gospel together. Um, I love our church, and I love what God is doing in our church right now. This is a really beautiful and special season. But there's also one other thing I know, and that's the enemy does not love it so much. And if he wants to do anything, he doesn't want us to be a healthy church focused on the gospel. And so how can we live out this text? It starts with us living, you know, it starts with us living this out together, that we would Matthew 18 with each other, that we would 1 Timothy 5 with each other, that we would not ignore sin or let it thrive in dark corners, but we would choose to do the hard thing, which is to engage with our brother and sister when we see sin. Sin. That is so hard. Some of you maybe have followed Jesus for 40 years and that has never happened once or been demonstrated for you once. And this is what I mean when I say that it's an issue in the American church. That we would live out James five that says, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Starts with us. Application. Action step number one. Starts with us. Um, but I have a second one, and this one may sound a bit unexpected, and that's okay. Um, I want you to think about this text in light of the body of Christ as a whole. I want you to zoom out, not just about Stone Oak Bible Church, but about the church as a whole. Paul says in our text do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, again, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Here's the reality. I know that many of us have come from a place of hurt. That some of us have gone through painful situations in the church having to do with leadership. Um, Honestly, I've been there. I would include myself in that number. Um, And I know that it is so easy in our flesh, to want to just lob accusation grenades. Let's just lob them um, against other elders or other leaders in other ministries or other churches to just accuse them. And I don't want to downplay this at all because I know you might be coming from a very real place of hurt with very real legitimate charges. And I've been there. But here's the question, to the best of your ability and in the things that are in your power, in the situation you face, have you lived out this text in 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 20? Um, And in asking that question, I know that there are times that, honestly, often that it's not even possible for you. Maybe you've been shut out or ignored or pushed out, and I get that, it happens. But with what is in your power, can you live out 1 Timothy 5? Meaning, let us confront sin, not run. Or slander or ignore. Let us for as much as in our power, live out Matthew 18 together. And here's the thing, even when it's not possible to bring the restoration that we hope to see, even then let us speak truth in and love. And, and what I'm getting at here is Let's not sin in our reaction and our response to being sinned against. You follow me? Like, let's stop the spiral. And this is so difficult. It's so hard. There's that old saying that hurt people hurt people. And it's so true. If you've been hurt, you know, you're geared up to hurt someone else. Like, it's just true. And so our temptation may be to push back on that and to push back. But listen, I want to encourage you that in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can stop this and thereby bring real healing. And so the number one thing here is this. We stand together on this. We believe this. We follow what this says. We trust this. And so are you willing to live out 1 Timothy 5, to live out Matthew 18 with your brothers and your sisters to take the more difficult path? And I mean this, it's it's more difficult because there are more churches on every corner than you can count. So if a brother makes you mad in here, go over there. That brother's not there and you can start all over. And and that, it hurts our ability to call out sin. And I wanna encourage us to be different. No matter what your background has been, no matter what brings you to this place, I promise you that one day someone in this room, if you stick around long enough, is gonna hurt you. When that happens, it's not that we're doing something wrong, it's that we're doing life together as broken sinners in need of the grace of God. So how will we respond in grace with each other? My prayer is that we will respond like this. And um, I want you to think of Romans 12, just as I finish this out, that says, repay no evil for evil. To give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love this. If possible, so far as it depends on you. I love that clause. Live peaceable with all. Are we willing to be this kind of people together? Um, Because this is what it's going to take to live out that balance. That's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to require of us to have a healthy, godly, gospel-centered culture in here together as the church. So whether you're here, whether you're an elder or not, listen, it starts with you. No leader is above this. It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us to bring this balance. Amen? Amen?